Well, hello, I am Matt Williamson. This podcast is brought to you by the Live Casino. Folks, it's all going down at the FanDuel Sportsbook and Lounge at Live Casino, where you can get in on all the action this football season. Bet on your teams with a sportsbook rep or at our self-service kiosks, and then jump into the stadium on our giant 40-foot video wall. How's that for a touchdown? Join your friends at Live Casino Pittsburgh, Route 30 at the Westmoreland Mall, Bet, watch, and win. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Obviously, we are going to talk the two trades. Uh, I don't know how long the pod will be. I'm just going to ramble and give you all my thoughts. Um, Start with Claypool, obviously. That's the headliner. But frankly, I think the Steelers made two very good moves yesterday. Um, From a Bears perspective, frankly, I think they overpaid. Good for the Steelers. I think they gave up too much. He is not worth an early second round pick. Good for the Steelers. But I'm sure their thoughts were, and this is relevant to Pittsburgh, this is a really bad upcoming free agent class of receivers. They need somebody else to put next to field, you know, next to Mooney, who's much different than Claypool, to really evaluate fields and give him a chance to to, to go, you know, to, to, to succeed. Fields is getting better. They just picked up a second in the Roquan deal from Baltimore. From what I was told, they came to the table with, we'll give you Baltimore second. Green Bay then calls, or maybe even their, the Bears early third and something else. And then the, the Packers stepped up and said, we'll give you our second for Claypool. And then the Bears took it a step further and said, we'll give you our second for Claypool. So good for Pittsburgh. A little bargaining war never hurts to get maximum value. And I think they got more than maximum value for Claypool. But I assume he'll play the outside. He'll play slot for Chicago. I know you're not here to you know talk fits in Chicago. But they had an extra pick. They have a ton of cap space. They need receivers in a big way. I don't think that they looked at free agency like that was going to be the answer. So they're getting a guy that's cost, of, you know, cost. Um, not not expensive on the cap this year and next. Will they extend them? Who knows? They can after next year. Oh, well, we don't care about the Bears as much. But that's, that's their logic. That's the nuts and bolts of that. So <clears throat> Pittsburgh now, assuming theirs and the Bears' season don't drastically turn around, are probably likely going to have three picks in the top 45. Uh, with two early seconds and the Steelers early first. At worst, I would say they'll have three picks in the top 50. And this is a small thing, but considering the Steelers have two second picks, you know, two early seconds, take note, there's only 31 first round picks this year. There's not 32 because Miami cheated and they lost theirs. So that's good for the Steelers. One pick higher um, than normal. Um, that's rare around here. I mean, how much fun is it going to be to do mock drafts and talk draft with three picks in the top 45 and then another early third? You know, there's a lot of directions that they can go. That's a story for another day. But again, you got more than the player was worth. You weren't going to pay him a year from now. I hope most of you went back if you didn't read it originally and read my article from last week. I read one article a week. It usually comes out on Wednesdays. This week's article, by the way, came out today and is all about how difficult of road the Steelers have had. You know, there's a lot of numbers involved. I think you'll like it. Go check it out. Last week's was, should they trade Claypool? You know, I didn't know he was getting traded at the time. So that's relevant. There's a lot of thoughts in there. Now, 
the picks are great. Again, they got more than they should have for the player. And there is a little bit of an argument, though, and I made, made it in the article, that like Fields, aren't you developing the young quarterback, too? You know, and wanting to make his life as easy as possible? Well, I think the pick will do more than the player. Again, I think the Steelers maximize the value. I can't say that enough. So, rest of the way, we won't talk offseason, but what do you do about that third receiver's position? Two guys that are injured are, were, could be, would have been interesting. And that, of course, is Calvin Austin. Um, he is done for the year. If you didn't know that, he will not play football this year. But that doesn't mean they don't like him. And big picture, it'd be great if they hadn't shut him down and you could at least see him for the last month of the season or something along those lines. The logistics didn't let that happen. Fair enough. You're not going to, but he's in the mix next year. Good. Um, a name that I'm sure you forgot, and actually I forgot when I wrote the article, is Anthony Miller. Now, I'm not certain if he can come back this year or not, if his injury will allow him to. He is eligible to. I was very impressed with him as a slot at camp. I couldn't believe the Steelers got him as cheap as possible as they did. You can go back on my timeline and see my article about Miller from the offseason. Um, I'm a fan. So he's at least going to be in the mix next year. He's pure slot. And again, Johnson and Pickens are not going to play the slot. Miller would be a fine third receiver from what I've seen. And maybe, you know, some competition too. But don't forget about him in the mix. I think he's a good player. Um, I think that they will do a lot of Claypool stuff with Boykin. And I don't think Boykin's quite as explosive or fast as Claypool but he's going to be a pseudo tight end blocking wise. He's been really impressive on special teams. He's a size speed freak as well. If you look at their combine numbers are almost identical. Boykin's even a little bigger. So I think that you can do a lot of the big slot stuff with Boykin. I don't expect him to be as good as Claypool, by the way. I mean, and you wouldn't have got a second round pick for Boykin, but he's going to have an opportunity to get out there. I hope the answer isn't just throw Gunnar Olszewski in and he can West Walker it up. That, that doesn't excite me one bit. Um, I do think another guy that's been impressive that's a bottom of the roster player is Sims. I've complained that when he trots out on the offense, it's a tell that he gets the football in a gimmicky kind of way. But if he's out there more, I think he's a better version of Ray Ray McLeod. I know that doesn't, woohoo, better version of Ray Ray I couldn't, you know, Ray Ray McLeod wasn't for me. I'll just leave it with that. But he has some explosiveness. He's good with the ball in his hands. He could get vertical out of the slot. Obviously, you can hand him the football. They do that plenty. Um, but I think he gets a bump in playing time with the offense as well. And then here's my last idea, which I think I'm kind of smart about. I don't know if it'll ever happen. Spread the word. Maybe tell it to the coaching staff. But I would bump up Connor Hayward's role as a slot receiver. And here's why. Like, he's not going to run go routes out of the slot. He's not going to be a vertical field stretcher. But I'm really impressed with him as a route runner, as a middle-of-the-field player, as an after-the-catch guy. But here's the beauty of it, is especially early on until teams really catch on, and maybe they will stick with it, he's a tight end. you know. So if you have a back, Fryermuth, Hayward, Deontay, and Pickens out there, that's 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends. Is he really much different than Claypool, though? And here's where I'm going with this, is if defenses are going to treat that 
the same way as if Gentry was in there instead of Hayward. And if Gentry and Hayward walked in this room, you'd be like, they do not play the same position and they don't, their style of play is not at all similar. And you get a heavier defensive front, you know, a three, four, a four, three. Well, you're definitely going to get Fryermuth, Harris, or Warren. Maybe he should get a bump in playing time. Or certainly Hayward on linebackers. So you still have five good receivers. If Hayward plays more and draws heavier defensive packages, you're in good shape. If they start treating him like a slot receiver and put nickelbacks on him and things like that, well, I think he can bully them in the run game. And I'm not saying Hayward's a great player. He's a seventh-round pick, but he's been impressive. He's going to stick around here for a while. I think that would be one of my options to replace Claypool this year. In the end, you probably have to draft another receiver, fourth round, something like that, um, third round. And they've had success doing so. But there is a lot, many of the same area scouts are here, but it's a different regime. I mean, do, do we know this new group's going to draft receivers as well as Kevin Colbert? Of course we don't. And it's not like Kevin hit on every one of them either. So, again, I really like the trade um, because they gave you so much and three picks in the top 45. I'm not going to say that. You'll, I'm going to say that 800 times in the, in the next six six months or whatever. I love it. Um, you know, O-line, D-line, corner, whatever. And that brings us to corner, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, so, again, phenomenal deal. You have some options. None of them are phenomenal to replace Claypool the rest of the year. And I thought he was playing better and better, you know, each game. But so be it. You know, you just paid Deontay, which I think is a good move, by the way. Some of you don't. You weren't going to pay Claypool. You're going to play pay Pickens in a couple of years. You don't want all three of those two years apart having major contracts. And Claypool's going to get overpaid on the open market. It's just what receivers are getting right now. He's not special. So I love that deal. Um, we'll be back. It won't be quite as lengthy of a conversation about William Jackson third here in a moment. the Steelers trading for a 30-year-old corner that makes a fair amount of money? Well, first of all, they really didn't trade for him. I mean, they gave up nothing. They swapped sixth and seventh picks three years from now or something. So they gave up as little compensation as you possibly can. So basically they said, Washington, you don't want him anymore. You're going to cut him. We'll take him off your hands. So there's no risk at all. If he stinks, you could cut him tomorrow, tomorrow, and it wouldn't hurt your cap or anything. Whether you decide to bring him back next year at his current cost, to be determined. You have half a season to figure that out. But from what I understand, and I feel very strongly about this, this is their history with William Jackson. They loved him coming out of school. Now, I understand he's 30 years old, and that was a long time ago. They had a huge cornerback need. They thought he had a real good chance to fall to him. He didn't. The Bengals snagged him right before the Steelers could pick. The consolation prize, if you recall, was Artie Burns. Bad consolation prize. Didn't work out. William Jackson would have been much better. And Jackson played very well for the Bengals during his rookie contract. Um, with 
Terrell Austin, <laughs> Steelers defensive coordinator. So they loved him coming out of school. They played against him and game planned against him twice a year, if not more with playoffs. And their current defense coordinator coached him in Cincinnati where he had his best years. So in typical Bengals fashion, they did not pay him. He hits the open market and for the time got a very big corner contract. He was the most sought after corner on the market two off seasons ago in a very uh, Washington-like manner. They were the ones that overpaid him and they gave him too much money. That's why they're moving on from him now. Good for him. He got, he got the deal. That's free agent woes. That's why shopping in free agency isn't the best way to build your team. Uh, the Bengals didn't bring him back because they're a little on the frugal side. Washington overpaid him because they're a little on the foolish side. So he didn't work out great in Washington. I mean, he had two years there. And I think it's safe to say he's a declining player. I mean, coming off his first contract, he was a big money guy. He was a CB1. And he's long. He's athletic. He's six foot. He'll get his hands on you. He'll mix you up. Um but he wasn't used great with Washington. And frankly, the back seven of their defense for the last two years has made so many coverage errors, mental errors. People don't seem to be on the right page. They're not a great coach team, you know, just to be frank. They rely on that front four that's loaded with first round picks to get home. And the back seven seems kind of lost, kind of misused. And that brings me to Jackson, too, and I think that's a big reason he wanted out, is he's best as a press man corner. They played a lot of zone with him, and if you go to Pro Football Focus, you'll see his numbers aren't great. I don't put a lot of faith in their numbers for defensive backs, to be honest with you. Um, so he wants to play a lot of man coverage. And, folks, a lot of man coverage isn't 80%. A lot of man coverage is 45%. So it's not like he doesn't know how to play zone. He just is better in man coverage. Those guys are harder to find. I mean, man coverage, I've told you guys this a million times. One of the first lessons I got when I was in the league was watch every snap of corners and receivers in press man coverage. There aren't many of them at the college level. That's a huge determinant whether you make it or not in this level. William Jackson's is, was a very good man coverage corner. And that's his specialty. He wants to get his hands on you. He wants to bump you to the line of scrimmage. He wants to read your route and live in your hip pocket. And he has a lot of success doing that. Again, doesn't mean he doesn't play zone. Steelers are near the top of the league in their man coverage rates. They're, I think, a little under 50%. Like I said, 45 is a lot. You know, no one plays 80% man. So he's going to a team that's going to play a lot of man coverage by NFL standards. Good. It's a good fit. Um, he is only an outside corner. He's not going to go in the slot. Witherspoon was, as you saw, horrible this past week. Wallace has been hurt. Sutton can go inside or out. All of those guys, including Jackson, are not guaranteed to come back this year. Um, Sutton is a free agent after the season. Millette's strictly a, a slot, if, if I didn't, know, didn't say that already. You could get out of Wallace's deal. You could get out of Spoon's deal. You could get out of Jackson's deal at no cost to the team. Or you could bring them all back. Sutton's a free agent. I would re-sign Sutton, see what he wants, because I love his versatility. I like his mind for the game. But he could be your full-time slot now, and even if there's an injury that you know occurs with Wallace, Spoon, whatever. I'm assuming, and I don't think they've announced this, that Jackson will come in and be an immediate starter on the outside probably at Spoon's expense, I would assume. 
I think you also have to mention Pierre. Pierre's played well. So all of a sudden, it's never a bad thing to have too many corners, too many offensive linemen, too many pass rushers. So now you have one extra corner. And again, that doesn't bode super well for Witherspoon, but I don't think his story is 100% written either. Wallace has been banged up. He hasn't been great. Um, but I assume Jackson will come in Sunday against Saints a week from now and be one of the outside corners. I don't know who the other one will be in two corner situations. I'm guessing Sutton. I assume when you go to three corners, that hurts Millette and Sutton will go to the slot. But they have a lot more options now. They can weigh all these guys that I just mentioned for next year. And it's a player they've loved and they've played against and they know a lot about. Now, he's 30. I'm sure he's declining. He's not a great corner now, but he's probably, I would say he's their best corner. Uh, I want to see him in black and gold and how they use him. But it wouldn't shock me if he's their best corner. Better than Wallace, better than Spoon. Different than Sutton. I don't say better or worse than Sutton, but different than Sutton. There are some Joe Hayden vibes here, though. I mean, former first-round pick that you played against a ton in the division, had success in the division, considered a high-quality guy. I, I don't know much about his character. Joe was a off-the-chart leader and all that good stuff. Hopefully the same is true. I don't know that for sure. But there's no risk. And you could let him go after the year. You could pick up his, his contract. You certainly have the space to do it if he's a success over this next couple months. Or you could rip up his contract and extend him. I'm sure he'll be happier here than he was in Washington. No one's happy in Washington. And it's a totally risk-free move. That's the thing. So another established corner that's been around the block, man coverage, has excellent traits. Take a shot. No cost. So I think the Steelers at the trade deadline got better as an organization. I mean, getting that early second-round pick is tremendous. Getting a corner that may or may not work out at no cost is tremendous. And it's one of the perks and beauties of having some cap space. You know, uh, you, you can p take a chance on a guy like this that p teams just want to dump. You know, kind of like the Browns got Amari Cooper for nothing because they had a cap space. They had cap space. You know, the, the Dallas was basically going to cut him. So the Steelers are in a position to do that. They can get veterans that are making a little more than they should, but you know who they are. Get them for next to nothing. Plug them in. See if they work out. If not, move on from them. So that's my take on it. Again, I think that they were both very good moves. Makes me more and more encouraged about this new front office and how they do business. And they have a lot of resources going forward. I mentioned, you know, offseason needs. We're not, we'll talk about that so much more going forward. But I think corners near the top of the list, an outside corner, if you get a first round Eighth overall, second corner off the board, Ahmad Gardner, Derek Stingley type. You know, that sounds pretty good. Um, this could alleviate that. I mean, again, never a bad idea to have too many corners, you know, but the way that they use the position, if they brought back the whole stable of corners that they have now, including Spoon, Wallace, Sutton, you know, and Jackson, Pierre, yeah, Millette. I can live with that if these guys show pretty well the rest of the season. And that just means one more tackle you can draft instead of a corner or whatever. You know, safety, whatever you want. So, again, we'll talk offseason needs. That's not particularly important. The beauty is, boy, do they have resources to fill their offseason needs. So, good stuff. Uh, I am impressed with what they did at the deadline. Over and out. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.